Welcome to the Healthy Hormones for Women podcast. I'm your host, Samantha Gladish, online nutritionist, weight loss coach, and hormone fixer-upper. I'm excited to bring you a weekly dose of information and inspiration, sharing with you simple and effective strategies from health, wealth, and all things personal growth. Get ready to become the master of your hormones and experience vibrant health to live a life of more power and possibility. Hello, everybody, and welcome back. Hope you guys are doing awesome. It is currently a nasty, like, rain and ice storm that's going on right now at the time of this recording, and it really sucks. It's super cold outside, and it just does not look very inviting at all. It's gray and icy and just no fun. So I hope wherever you are listening to this, whatever part of the world you're in, I hope that you are experiencing some warmth and some sun. Oh my goodness, I cannot wait for spring to get here and for the sunshine to be out on the regular. I feel like we've gone through quite the cold bout in the past few weeks here in Toronto. It's been like minus 20 and windy and just really nasty and cold. So no fun, which means I've been locked up inside for weeks now and starting to go a little bit stir crazy. But in other very very, very exciting news. You guys know I've been talking about this for quite some time, and that is that we bought a house. Yes, I'm so freaking excited. According to this date, we move the countdown to our new house is 76 days. So about end of April is when we move, and I'm so excited, and I cannot wait. Our backyard is so beautiful and landscaped, and we actually scored an amazing salt water self-cleaning hot tub, which is pretty sweet. And our kitchen is so big and beautiful, and I'm just so, so excited. And you know, I've been talking about getting out of this condo for quite some time. I am so grateful for our condo and what it has provided for us and all the amazing projects and everything that has been birthed from this condo and from my space right now. And it's been amazing, you know, being here and our views have been epic and I'm definitely going to miss those sunsets every night. But we are going to experience it all in a new way in our new home, and I'm so excited. So I can't wait to share more details about that with you, and I am currently obsessed with all things home decor right now. Like, I just cannot stop, and I'm getting so super distracted from my work because all I do is go online and look up furniture and home decor and keep searching up Google images for, like, modern kitchens and earthy-looking kitchens, and oh my god, I'm just so excited to be able to decorate my home and I cannot wait for it. So I'll be sharing more details about that. And of course, when we move in, all kinds of fun videos and new recordings and videos from my kitchen and cooking classes and all kinds of fun stuff. So stay tuned for that. And if you have design and decor tips, then please, by all means, share them with me over on Instagram at Holistic Wellness Foodie. And in other news... I've been getting some amazing feedback. You guys have been trying the Pure Paleo Protein and you love it. I knew you would. It's so, so delicious and tasty and frothy and I just love it so much. And I may have mentioned this before, but 
with a pure paleo protein, it is a beef isolate. And it means that you're also getting a really high percentage of collagen. You're getting about 70% of collagen in there, which is a huge bonus because if you're buying protein powder and then you're also buying collagen separately, you're getting the best of both in this one supplement. So it's the Designs for Health Pure Paleo Protein. I absolutely love it. You guys can head on over to shop.holisticwellness.ca and off any of the supplements, you can save 15%. So just enter the coupon code SAVE15 and get your supplements. And there are so many great new products that we've added onto the page. Great products for thyroid health, adrenal health, gut health, digestion and energy and brain health and mood and sleep, all kinds of good stuff there. So definitely check it out. And if you have any questions, don't hesitate to let me know. All right. So today's episode, I'm super stoked about because it's a topic that we haven't yet dove into. And I get lots of questions about it. And that is SIBO. What the heck is SIBO? Small intestinal bacterial overgrowth. So I am really excited to dive into this topic. We are diving into, first of all, what is SIBO? How do you get it? What are the symptoms that show up with SIBO and and symptoms you might be experiencing? How do you test for SIBO? And then we dive into steps for overcoming SIBO. And we dive into so many great things in today's episode, you know, understanding the gut-brain connection, how to really heal and support gut health, and how it all plays in with hormonal health. So I know you guys are going to really love and value this episode, and it's going to be really helpful for so many of you. So my guest today is Dr. Jason Pikin, who is a chiropractor, certified nutrition specialist, and health coach who offers a unique holistic and whole body approach to nutrition and wellness. Since starting practice in 1996, he's taught people how to heal from various problems ranging from chronic pain to digestive disorders. His practice focuses heavily on nutrition and a total body approach to health, placing the highest emphasis on healing the relationship between the gut and the brain, known as the brain-gut axis. Dr. Pikin utilizes a combination of functional lab testing and applied kinesiology in order to address the three basic causes of health problems, imbalances in the chemical, emotional, and physical symptoms of the body. You can learn about his approach to health and wellness in his book, Better, 11 Simple Habits to Improve Your Life. So let's dive into today's episode with my guest, Dr. Jason Pikin. Hi, Jason. Welcome to the podcast. It's great to have you here. Thanks for having me, Samantha. I'm super excited. We are diving into SIBO and gut health. I'm so excited. A topic our audience just is dying to know all things about. So before we dive into that, can you share with our audience a little bit more about who you are and what you do? Sure. It's Dr. Jason Pikin. At first, I was a chiropractor and I still am a chiropractor. And after practicing a couple of years, what I realized was that people got better temporarily most of the time. And including myself, I was in a really bad car accident eight months before I graduated chiropractic college. I broke my spine in two places, destroyed my left shoulder. I was up and functioning, but I still had chronic pain. And I found out the physical methods I used were making me and everybody else feel better, but not in a lasting way. And that's when I discovered something called applied kinesiology, which is the study of the way the body moves. And ultimately, that led me into learning how nutrients affect movements of the body and affect the health of the muscles and inflammation. Since I developed gut issues and my 
soon-to-be wife had gut issues. I delved right into that as a primary source of chemical problems in the body. And that's what led me here today. It's chiropractic, nutrition, applied kinesiology, functional medicine. That's amazing. How long did your recovery take? You broke your spine in two places? Yes, I actually broke it twice. Once in that car accident, that recovery took two and a half years, only because I believe my nutrition and my lifestyle wasn't right. And then the second time I broke it, it was about two and a half weeks. Two and a half weeks of bad, four weeks of getting my body back together again. Right. Wow. That's amazing. And so you talk about gut health a lot in your practice. And I think we should start off with SIBO because a lot of people are unfamiliar with what this is. So let's start there. What is SIBO? Okay. This could take a while. So I'm going to give you a short (laughs) explanation first. Okay. So hopefully your audience understands, at least in some part, that there are microbes that live in and on our body. There are hundreds of trillions of microbes. There are more microbes than we have cells in our body. The vast majority of these microbes really should live in our gut, especially our large intestine. That's where we have to concentrate the greatest numbers. That's where they live. So what SIBO is, is if there's a breakdown in the barrier system that separates the large intestine from the small intestine, those microbes start to escape and kind of crawl up into the small intestine and set up shop there. And they live along the intestinal walls. And if nothing is stopping them from migrating even further, they keep migrating up. And that is SIBO, a small intestine bacterial overgrowth. Okay. So next question, how would you even know if you have SIBO? Like, How do you even get it in the first place? Well, those are two different things. So let's just go with the first part of that. How do you know if you have SIBO? Well, The largest symptom, the symptom that you see the most is bloating. It's not definitive. Just because you have bloating doesn't mean you absolutely have SIBO. But when I hear patients tell me they're bloated, especially 20, 30, 40 minutes after a meal, especially with high fiber, high carbohydrate, starchy meals, I think SIBO. So bloating is a big thing. Also, any chronic digestive problem that is not going away. SIBO tends to be a little bit more complex in two-thirds of patients to treat. So if you've tried a bunch of things and are not getting better and have never looked into SIBO as a cause, that might be the case. And then how do you definitively know? Well, there is testing for it. So it's a simple breath test. It's a three-hour test. I do it with patients as a home kit. Some people go through their GI doctor, their gastrointestinal doctor, their medical doctor, and they go to clinics where you sit there for three hours and you do this breath test. And what they're measuring is hydrogen gas and methane gas that is coming out in your breath after doing this prep diet and drinking a solution, usually lactulose, which basically makes these bugs really like happy. So they grow, and then you breathe out this hydrogen or methane gas, and you measure it. And if it's above what's considered to be normal, well, then you have SIBO. Interesting. And so you can get this through your medical doctor? Yes. Usually a GI doctor will prescribe it rather than your traditional primary doctor. They'll just refer you to the specialist. And if they're familiar with SIBO, it's great. The biggest problem with 
the GI doctors in the treatment of SIBO is most of them, I'm, I'm really stereotyping here because there are some that are really a great, amazing, they're into functional medicine. Most of them just prescribe antibiotics. Right. And I usually see those people in my office. They've gotten the meds. They've felt better. I actually have somebody here that was on antibiotics for two and a half years. Oh, uh, man. And it's not a, an antibiotic that damages the rest of the body. It does only work locally in the gut on SIBO. But anytime he missed a couple doses, it all came back. And right. what you have to do is work with you know, a functional practitioner even somebody like yourself, even if you're not working on SIBO, when you get the right diet, it makes a world of difference. Okay. So let's dive into diet then in terms of what you should be eating and what you should not be eating specifically for SIBO. What does that look like? So the standard start of care for SIBO diet-wise is a low FODMAP diet. And I'm not sure if everybody wants to hear what the FODMAP start for, stand for, but it's... I know, think you should say it. <laughs> <laughs> got me. <laughs> what a low FODMAP diet is... Fructose... Oh, sorry, fermentable oligosaccharides, yeah. monosaccharides, disaccharides, and polysaccharides. Right. So anything that you take in your body that will ferment and create gas, basically from these bugs is a fiber or a type of food that you want to stay away from. And it tends to be fiber because humans cannot break down fiber on our own. We don't have the ability to digest fiber. And so we leave it up to the microbes that are living in our gut to do it for us. Now, if those microbes are staying in the large intestine where they're supposed to be, and a little fermentation happens, a little gas happens, not a big deal. It's a big, large intestine there. It has a lot more flexibility. When that happens in the small intestine, that can create some disturbances and some inflammation. And that inflammation is really the thing behind the symptoms for SIBO because gas and bloating are annoying, but when those gas and bloating, the SIBO persists, it can also lead to leaky gut, which then leads to inflammation. And that has more systemic effects and how really we get into hormones. Yeah, absolutely. I know back in 2017, because I have Hashimoto's and that's when my Hashimoto's antibodies were at their highest. And so there was more inflammation going on in my body. And because of that, I was also experiencing more digestive issues. So it was all connected. So that's when I had decided, you know what, I'm going to kind of go on a bit of a SIBO protocol to really improve my digestion. And so with that protocol, what I did and what I was also told was to eliminate fermented foods and probiotics. So can we talk about that? Because obviously we hear so much about the importance of these foods, mm -hmm. but yet with SIBO, I was being told to avoid them. So let's go there. Yeah. Listen, there's some debate. I learn from listening to people that I think are, to be honest with you, smarter than me and have more experience. That's how you learn. Right. Uh, when I started understanding what SIBO was and starting seeing patients, what I learned was that the probiotics that I was giving them probably weren't the right thing. The kimchi and the sauerkraut that I was telling them to eat, when it wasn't making them feel good, I learned it's because in the initial stages of SIBO treatment, what we are trying to do is get rid of these friendly bacteria. See, the difference between SIBO and other forms of dysbiosis, what dysbiosis is, is just any abnormal balance of the gut microflora. 
So if you have too many bad, unfriendly bugs, that can cause problems, parasites and fungus and yeast. But SIBO doesn't have to be bad bugs. They could be good, friendly, beneficial microbes that are simply in the wrong place. Right. Give them friends, probiotics and probiotic foods, or even prebiotics, which tends to be fiber, you can make that all worse. So temporary, you get off of that. You take antimicrobial herbs in my point of view, which are just as or sometimes more effective than rifaximin or zyfaxin, the, the medication. And once you get them to a comfortable level, you start reintroducing those foods. Right. Okay. That makes sense. And so you also mentioned leaky gut and how this can also lead into issues with leaky gut. Can we dive into that and maybe just explain what leaky gut is and how this is impairing digestion and leading to inflammation and whatnot? Okay. So I have my favorite way of explaining leaky gut. I talk with my hands, so your <laughs> listeners can't, can't- Yeah, I can see. <laughs> I'll try to make this as descriptive as, as possible. Awesome. But when you put something in your mouth and you're eating it, it's not inside your body. You're just chewing it and swallowing it, and it's passing through a tube. Think of it just like the garden hose, and it's going to eventually come out the other end, probably looking a bit different, right? right. So what happens is the way we digest our food is we break it down and it's still in that tube, but then your, your intestines have these little finger-like projections, these little villi, these sensors that sense every single molecule of food going by. When it senses something that's good for you, that's healthy, what it does is it opens up the gates of your intestines and it allows that nutrition to come in. And if it's proper nutrition, it's all organic foods, and you don't have any other irritants or food allergies, then basically nothing happens except your body is nourished, healthy, and happy. But if your gut has been irritated by SIBO, by eating the wrong things, by medications, by even stress, then you can have a leaky gut, which means those gates stay open longer than they should, and they allow the passage of non-nutritious, non-nourishing things into your body. And then your immune system reacts. And that reaction by your immune system is a form of inflammation, which is good. We need inflammation. Right. That's normal. It's just that if you keep putting in the wrong things and you don't heal up that leaky gut, well, then that inflammation can go on and on and on. And all of a sudden, your immune system can go haywire. And it can trigger anything from autoimmune to severe chronic pain, even mild chronic pain, whatever it is, to hormonal imbalances. Right. And so how does this tie into the gut-brain axis? Okay. Well, ultimately, the gut-brain axis regulates how your gut heals. When you first have to define the gut-brain axis. Yeah, let's do that. Right. So everybody knows they have a brain. (laughs) Yep. You actually have a second brain, and I believe even a third brain. But let's talk about the second brain. The second brain is the enteric nervous system. It's the mass of nerves that supplies energy to your gut. Now, your gut is massive. It's gigantic. And there's so much going on there when you eat. I mean, it is such a miracle that we know how to take Twinkies or peaches or butternut squash and turn it into parts of our body. I know. It's pretty amazing. 
It's amazing. And the enteric nervous system is doing so much work that it needs to be able to react without your brain. So virtually every other aspect of your body is directed by the brain. It's controlled by the brain, but the enteric nervous system can function and make decisions, let's say on its own, gut decisions, right? So Hence you, the second brain, yes. Yes. And just because it makes decisions on its own doesn't mean it's working independently and doesn't let the brain know what's going on. Right. So how the brain the initial brain and the second brain, the enteric nervous system communicate is generally through a nerve called your vagus nerve. Have you gone over that in other episodes? No, so you should definitely go there. Okay, so the vagus nerve is one of your 12 cranial nerves, nerves that exit out of your brain stem. Most of these nerves supply energy back up into your head and your senses, your sight, your smell, your taste, the way your face moves, your tongue movements. The vagus nerve is one of the only nerves that travels down and it doesn't go back up into your head. And it touches upon really all your organ systems, but it really has a very big line of communication with the enteric nervous system. It's the communicator. So if your gut is irritated, and it's sending messages to the brain saying, hey, you just keep throwing the wrong stuff down here. Can you please stop? Or we're in crisis, we're bloated, we have these microbes here, we're giving you signals, we're trying to give you bloat, but you're not listening and changing your life. Well, then the brain gets irritated. And that can create different things for different people. It comes out as anxiety, depression, mood changes, and so that gut is communicating to the brain for a good reason, it's letting it know it's a problem, but if you never heal the gut, the brain stays irritated, and we can flip that right around. If you are living a very stressful, emotionally stressful life, really stressful, not just coming from your gut, but you've got a lot going on, you've been through traumas, and those signals are constantly being sent to the gut, well, the gut can't do its job because it's being interfered with. Right. That is the gut-brain axis. The third brain is the microbiome, which is that the group of microbes, but we can leave that off. Awesome. Yeah. So that was a great analogy. And so obviously the gut-brain access will play a huge role in hormonal health and imbalances. Can you expand on that and what type of imbalances maybe women, men might experience from this? Yes. So let's take one route because we can go on lots of different tracks. So let's say You've got SIBO because that's what this is all about. For some reason, you contracted it. And the most common ways you do that is a gut infection, a stomach bug. Some antibiotics can cause it. Some medications can cause it. Alcohol use can cause it. But let's say you've got the SIBO. And it's been irritating your gut. It's been sending messages back up to your brain. So now your brain is in a stressed state. And whether that comes out as anxiety, more anxious feelings, hyper or depression, which is well, I guess the opposite end of anxiety where you don't have any energy, what that does is it affects your cortisol levels. It usually causes the body to need to produce more cortisol, which is a hormone of stress. And we all need cortisol, just like we need inflammation. We wouldn't be awake and sitting and talking to each other if we didn't both have cortisol flowing around our system today. It's just when that cortisol production becomes overrunning. It takes over the body. What happens is if your body's energy is shifting towards production of stress hormones, it doesn't have enough energy or life to produce reproductive hormones. 
And in functional medicine, that's known as a cortisol steal, or sometimes it's known as the pregnenolone steal, right. which is a hormone that steals everything. So if you're stressed, it's not time to reproduce. It's not time sure. to have babies. Yep. So you need to address the stress first. And that stress could be coming from your gut. Right. And stress is definitely the root of many issues. So yes, absolutely. And so what are your, actually, there's a few questions that came to mind. You mentioned meds and alcohol and parasites and how that can lead to something like SIBO. And I'm curious, would it be like immediate or for example, if you caught a parasite on vacation five years ago, would your symptoms show up immediately or can they show up years down the road? The way you asked that, I'm going to answer it can show up at any time because you said, when do your symptoms show up? Okay. The problem could have been five years ago during that infection where it weakened, especially something called your ileocecal valve. Right. It's a valve that separates the small intestine, large intestine. If that gets weakened, the problem starts. How long till you feel symptoms? It could be never. I actually had a patient that wow. she came to me with chronic pain. Mm-hmm. I kept telling her it was a gut that was based upon applied kinesiology and learning more about her. She reluctantly did a SIBO test. It was the highest positive SIBO test I had ever seen. Wow. But she had no gut issues. Right. Like no bloating, no gas, like nothing. nothing. Right. She didn't want to go through the treatment. Hmm. And she left. She thought it was crazy, to be honest with you. So you may not ever actually feel gut symptoms because a stat that I explain to people all the time and I have to repeatedly say it is only 9% of your entire nervous system is even capable of sensing pain. Hmm. That's it. If you're having pain, it's because you've luckily, because you get that feedback, hit some of those 9% of the nervous system that can send feedback to you. So your organs are even less sensitive to discomfort and pain. They only feel discomfort if they're being stretched or cut. Right. They know if they're being cut, but the stretch sensation, there's different levels of sensitivity. It tends to be that one of the biggest problems I find with SIBO treatment with people is some people with SIBO develop visceral hypersensitivity. That means they're only being stretched the tiniest bit but they notice it. Right. Most people would never recognize that, but they notice that they're hypersensitive. And again, there are ways to calm that down, but it's more challenging. But other people on the other spectrum, they can get their stomach stretched all over the place and never feel a thing. Right. So would you recommend that if somebody's been on a lot of medications or there's been a lot of alcohol use or they caught a parasite, even if they're not experiencing symptoms, maybe they should do the SIBO breath test? I pause there because the problem with testing Mm -hmm. is testing is great, but testing has false negatives. For sure. That's what I don't like. And if you're not with a doctor that understands how to interpret a SIBO test, they can actually see a, a false positive. They can tell you you have SIBO. And you don't really. So as long, I'm all for that testing. Mm -hmm. As long as you're with a very SIBO literate person, rather than somebody that just wants to run the test to see what happens. Right. Makes sense, of course. And the interpretation is everything. So that's key. Yes. Okay. And by the way, I forgot to just mention one thing that I, I, I hate that I left this out. Yeah, go for it. The most common cause of SIBO outside of an infection in your gut is actually the use of antacids. Oh. 
Prilosec, Nexium, Zantac, sometimes even the chronic use of Tums. If you're reducing the acidity of your stomach, or if you don't have enough acidity in your stomach to start with, um, achlorhydra, then well, that lack of acid, stimulating lack of usually bile release also, which is another form of acid, that lack of acid going to your small intestines will allow SIBO to grow. It's that acid, we depend on that acid to kill off those microbes. So anybody that's been on omeprazole or any of the acid reducers for sometimes just weeks can trigger a SIBO reaction. Okay. I love that you went here because I actually had that as one of my questions because I noticed on your site that you had some really great information about acid reflux. So I'd really love to dive into that a little bit more and expand on maybe some healing strategies for acid reflux. Sure. Yeah. All right. Go for it. What are your top strategies? All right. Well, first I'll say that every single problem I see is physical, chemical, emotional. It's, it's all three. Mm-hmm. And, and yes, people have one more than the other. And I'll give you my like bullets and maybe you'll have questions on and want to expand on some of those. Sure. Physical, as far as acid reflux goes, it's the jaw. It's the biggest thing I see. Nobody's addressing it. It's so big. Many people are addressing the diaphragm, and that's extremely important with acid reflux because one of the big perpetuators or causes is a hiatal hernia, a sliding hiatal hernia or a full-blown one. And if you release physical tension, the diaphragm and or the thoracic cage from like chiropractic, right. um, relieve some stress. But if you go upstream, the nerves that innervate the diaphragm come from your neck. And so you can have a neck stress issue that's causing it. And what causes the vast majority of neck stress issues in people that aren't being stupid and looking down at their phones all day like everybody else are, but like that have a pretty good lifestyle is actually emotional stress causing jaw problems. Hmm. Because the jaw is the most important joint in your body, arguably in some respects, because if it doesn't work right, you don't eat, you die. Right. So the body is very intelligent. It compensates for jaw stress by creating neck tension. It's trying to realign the jaw by tweaking the muscles all around the neck. And so you'll suffer with this neck issue that's really coming from the jaw and it's really, it leads down to the diaphragm. So that's physical. Emotional, well, that causes the emotional stress, causes the jaw. And also we spoke about that before with brain gut. When you're high cortisol in a a high stress time, if you're not getting enough sleep, that doesn't allow for the vagus nerve to be stimulated. The vagus nerve is stimulated when you're resting and when you're digesting, not when you're stressed out. So another perpetuator of acid reflux is people that aren't giving themselves time to rest, heal, relax, meditate, enjoy life. Right. And the big one, chemical, which is very often, it's very often a lack of acid production in your stomach. If you're not producing enough acid and you put food on top of that low acid stomach, well, it just doesn't get broken down and it irritates you. And that food can just create reflux. Plus that lack of acid in your stomach chronically can cause a weakness in your lower esophageal sphincter, the thing that separates your esophagus from your stomach. And if that becomes weak, you can get reflux. So 
How do you reinstate the acid? The tricks are, you want to be tested to really find out if you need these things, but the tricks are B12, making sure B12 levels are good, making sure your zinc status is good. And even if it is good, I sometimes supplement with zinc also, especially zinc carnosine, zinc attached to an amino acid called L-carnosine, which has a really good way of normalizing stomach acidity. And L-glutamine, aloe, licorice are like three cocktail that I often give people that really works wonders. Great. Those are some awesome tips. Yeah. I love the zinc carnosine and we always keep DGL on hand here that you can chew as a like natural Tums, you know, like just in case or something. We always like to keep that on hand, but I never thought about that with the jaw. And then you got me thinking of those who are like mouth breathers or you know, if that plays a role with their jaw, like I wonder, I, I feel like now I need to do research about that. Yeah, you, literally it's everything plays a role. And I, I never know which piece of the puzzle is gonna be that thing to impact the person. But unfortunately, most people that come here have been to a bunch of other doctors first. So yeah. I, I don't try anything, I try everything. We work on it all at the same time. I don't care what was the thing that got you better, as long as you're better. And do people look at you like you have three heads when they feel like they have acid reflux, but you're telling them they actually have low acid? Uh, Rarely. (laughs) uh, I'm pretty good at leading up to the explanation. Oh, that's good. That's good. Yeah. Because I feel like there's a bit of a disconnect there where, you know, acid reflux, they feel like they need to suppress the acid, but it actually ends up being the opposite. (laughs) Sorry, we hear the cat in the background. (laughs) Yeah, that part they don't understand and I have to explain it. But the jaw they kind of get when I explain it. But the lack of acid or too much acid thing they get confused about. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, awesome. So before I let you go, I want to know some of your strategies, like your top strategies for just improving gut health overall. What are your go-tos? And you also did mention like some herbs earlier that you like to use. Mm -hmm. What does that look like? So ultimately, it's, you know, some version of a 4R program, and maybe you use this as well. It's just really a guideline to make sure you're hitting all the bases. And the most important point of the 4R program is diet. And I believe that everybody, no matter what your health status is, should play with, experiment with an elimination reintroduction diet. I use that outside of rotation diets where we're taking out one food at a time. I found less success with those when I did those years ago. Elimination reintroduction means you pick a diet. It doesn't matter whether you're picking the low FODMAP or a ketogenic diet, which I work on with people often, vegan diet, doesn't matter what you do, pineapple diet, whatever you do. (laughs) If you feel wonderful eating that way for a number of weeks, fantastic, you've learned something. And then the goal is to slowly, and this is where people mess up, it slowly reintroduce foods. Right. So you can understand how those foods have been affecting you. People are saying, you know, this is the only problem I have with the Whole30 diet is the name. It's because people on day 31 eat whatever the heck they want. Totally. They bring it all back in and then you don't really know what foods you're yes. really reacting to. It's, it's a fantastic plan if people would just do it the way they say to do it. Right. <laughs> Which is slow introduction. So that's foods... With a SIBO specifically, it also, the R stands for removing the bad bugs or the good bugs that are in the wrong place. And there's a wide variety of herbs 
but since one third of SIBO cases are really simple and easy to treat, I'll give you my top two as like my protocol batch, unless I think there's some adjustment that needs to be done. It's, can I mention brand names here? Yeah, go for it. Metagenics Candy Bactin AR. What we're really looking for is a good oil of oregano supplement, and it has a couple other herbs in it, but I'm using it for the, the source that they use for oil of oregano. Yeah. And then a trontil. A trontil, to be honest with you, I blanked on the name of the herbs, but it was actually taken from somebody that was looking to speak to some farmers about what they did to control methane in their cattle. Gas production. Right. He found out that it worked, and this is a medical doctor and a GI doctor in Texas, he found out that it worked well for humans. And it's been exploding in the SIBO community, a trontial of incredible for controlling gas, not in everybody. And right. that's why I combine them both. That's the first R. The next R is using digestive enzymes, are replacing them, re-inoculating the gut at the right time. There are SIBO-friendly probiotics, but mostly I use a prebiotic with SIBO if somebody needs it. It's partially hydrolyzed gourd gum. I don't know if you've ever used that. No, I don't think I have. I'm trying it's, to think. It's not gourd gum. It's partially hydrolyzed gourd gum. There is a difference. difference. There's a few yep. companies out there that sell it. I get it from a company called Healthy Fiber. Right now, they're just the least expensive and everybody gets it from the same source. They just repackage it. For sure. Yes. So that, even though it promotes bacterial growth, it tends to be very well tolerated during SIBO cases and it gives you enough fiber to be able to go to the bathroom. So it works well with people that are constipated. And then the last R is repair. That's where I would use the L-glutamine, the aloe, the DGL, the licorice, a soothing and healing marshmallow. There's tons of different herbs And it's really up to the health practitioner and that person to go on that question journey of what works for them. For sure. Awesome. Well, those were some amazing suggestions. Thank you so much. I know our audience is going to love that. They're probably running out and buying all those things right now. So (laughs) thanks for sharing that. Tell us more about your seven-week fast track program to healing leaky gut program. Sure. I'd be happy to. So I very often, since I went out of like the health insurance networks a couple of years back, and the thing that always bugged me were people that called me for help, and I really wanted to help them, and, and I gave them as many hints as I could, but they, they just couldn't become a patient full-time with me. It came down to they wanted to be able to there use their insurance, and finances were in the way. Right. So I've been dreaming about a way to reach more people, and the online world basically afforded me this. I've learned that in the last year and a half, how to create a program. And this is what I teach my patients day in and day out, how to go through a four-hour program, how to tie in the physical and the emotional and work on yourself because I work on myself. And it's basically everything I do with my family, my patients, myself. And I'm teaching it over a seven-week course and doing it in a group format, creating a Facebook group so we can support each other. It's meant for anybody with bloating, gas, digestive issues, acid reflux, that believes they have leaky gut, and specifically IBS, and that aren't getting the help that they think they should have from their doctors. That's amazing. Well, we will definitely link it all up in the show notes and everyone can head on over to holisticwellness.ca forward slash episode 48 to grab all the show notes and learn more about that program. And thanks so much, Jason, for being with us today. You shared such great insights and knowledge and we really appreciate it. Where can our audience find you online? I guess website is the easiest. It's 
drjasonpiken.com, D-R-J-A-S-O-N-P-I-K-E-N. Perfect. Awesome. And we'll be sure to put that in the show notes too. Great. Well, thanks so much for being with us today. I really appreciate it. Thanks for giving me the opportunity to teach. Absolutely. Take care. How great was that episode? I really am excited that we got to dive into the SIBO topic today. And I know that I've been getting lots of questions. So I hope that that was really able to provide a lot of you with some clarity and some steps to move forward to really start beginning your healing protocol. There is a seven-week fast track to healing leaky gut program that Dr. Jason Pikin offers. And the link to join that program and learn more about it is over on our show notes page, which you can access at Holistic wellness.ca forward slash episode 48. And if you want more information about SIBO, there is also a free SIBO ebook that you can download. And we've shared the link for that also on the show notes page. And again, that link is holisticwellness.ca forward slash episode 48. Thanks everybody for tuning in today. I am so excited to bring you some awesome, exciting news and projects and things that we're working on. And I will share it with you in next week's episode. So stay tuned for that. And as always, you can connect with me over on Instagram at Holistic Wellness Foodie. Thanks everybody. Have a wonderful day and chat with you guys next week.